right along with the uh, the kind of the, the title. I, I guess this is I guess this would be the title. The title of the lesson tonight is a call revealed um, in our our study of Jonah here, lesson number two, and. There are outline handouts. I did not get them for tonight. I do apologize for that. I will endeavor to have that. Although I do know what they are, so I can still ask you for help on filling in the imaginary blanks before they come up. So again, go ahead and turn to Jonah, Jonah chapter one. Again on that, um, to kind of start us off here. If you can recall, it's actually not from last week's. I think it was three weeks ago. I think, I think it was three weeks ago, where we. Uh, kind of started the first lesson in um, our study here of, of Jonah, of a whale of a lesson on obedience, and it is definitely very true. We kind of did an overview of the book of Jonah, kind of looking at uh, what his name, anybody remember what his name, what his father's name meant? Amittai? the T. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the... His name literally meant truth. So Jonah literally was the son of truth, which is very interesting thinking about that. So we saw his name, we looked at his negligence again, and his nation, and then his notoriety, um, kind of as an overview to start. So um, Jonah chapter 1, again, we're just going to read just the, the first two verses everything here. Um, Jonah chapter 1, and then verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So kind of the overview of what we want to kind of look at in the lesson tonight. You know, it's not God's fault that sinners are lost and on their way to hell. Interesting. Think about that. And it's also not God's fault that revival among his people seems non-existent sometimes. Interesting. This is actually a very interesting thought here. God has called enough people to accomplish his work. Think about that. He's called enough people to accomplish his work. The problem isn't with the harvest. The problem is with the laborers the reapers. Now, the problem isn't with God's voice. The problem is with our ears. Remember the whole thing, did you hear what I said? As we say that to our kids all the time, did you hear what I said? Now, there's two voices that you know, are standing on the street corners of our lives. And you got the voice of the world and the voice of wisdom. Of course, Proverbs talks a lot you know, about um, kind of those two contrasting voices that you hear a lot. No. Proverbs 1.10, no, my son of sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And then farther down, verse 20, no, wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. And it kind of continues on with that, with that theme there. And it also gives the end results of listening to both of those voices. Farther in chapter 1. Uh, this is uh, Proverbs 1.32-33. says, for the turning way of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them, but whoso hearkeneth unto me, which is wisdom, talked about earlier, shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. So kind of the objectives 
kind of just, we want to kind of purpose of our lesson here, no? To be able to discern, okay, God's voice and obey it. And then, you know, really, as his children, we don't really have an option, but rather an obligation to obey and to serve him. And think about you and your kids, you know. What's the option? It's obey, right? <laughs> that is the option. And also to, again, an overview here, to, to create in us kind of a tenacity and a boldness, you know, to speak God's message even when it's unpopular and may bring some persecution in that. So a call revealed is the, uh, again, the title for the, uh, the lesson. So kind of be thinking about that in relation to what we're going to look at this evening. Um, in his book, The Evangelist, you know, Dr. John R. Rice stated, and this is kind of a long quote, so, so bear with me on this. Um, says, the trouble is not with the harvest, but with the reapers. Men are lost, but they can be saved. Hearts are hard, but they can be broken with the gospel. Sinners are blinded. Sinners are enslaved by Satan. Sinners are even dead in trespasses and sins. But Christ has opened blind eyes and released the captives and raised the dead before. Sinners are always lost, always hardened and blinded and enslaved. The basic facts about the power of the gospel have never changed. Around the world, in all ages and in all lands, the harvest has been white, and the laborers few. The harvest is white today. In any particular community, there may be times of sowing and times of reaping, an ebb and flow of opportunity. That has been true in all ages, and it's not different today. But around the world, it's continually the same. Multitudes of people are ripe for the gospel and could be won by spirit-filled, impassioned, and zealous soul winners. The world is white to the harvest. It always has been and always will be. As long as human hearts are what they are and sin is what it is and the gospel is what it is, there's not a trouble with the harvest the troubles with the reapers. That's kind of a long quote, kind of a lot in there, but that's kind of that last statement is kind of the, the, the crux of what that whole, that whole quote was about. So the first, um, first point tonight, that there's uh, three main points, I believe, and the, uh, the word that you're going to be looking for, they all start with an A, so give you a, a thing on that. The first thing is a commission of... An, an A word there. Not ability. Nine letter word. Again, it starts with an A. Kind of think about this with a commission of. If you're being commissioned with something, there's kind of some. There's kind of some. What behind it? Commission of authority. Again. This is in the context, again, of God and Jonah here with all this. A commission of authority and then us with it here. Commission of authority. I don't know why that showed up there. Now, much of the problem today is that we don't allow God to be God in our lives. You think about that. Now, you think about that in Romans one twenty one, talking about um, unsaved, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. If you think of the, back to our study of 
the kings and everything back in Second Kings 17. It's just talking about um, the people that you know, the Assyrians brought back and repopulated northern Israel with, the origin of who, Samaritans, there you go. It talked about them, that they feared the Lord and served their own gods. Remember that? And then that kind of was that whole mixed religion thing. You know, worse yet, you know, we make ourselves gods. And like the people in the book of Judges know, every man does that which is right in his own eyes on that. So sub-point A, these ones, there is, I think, two of them. And the word you're looking for starts with a V. God's something discerned. God's voice discerned, that is correct. God's voice discerned. Now, do you, can you recognize God's voice in your life? Can you pick it out of the midst of a world of other voices that are shouting at you at the same time? Think of, back to Acts chapter 9, think of Saul on the road to Damascus. Again, he was going to do what? Persecute Christians, right? Um, of course, you know the story. You know, this is, uh, I don't know what verse this is from. You know, they came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul asked a question back. And he said, who art thou? Lord, he answered his own question, didn't he? Isn't that interesting? You think about that? He couldn't see, obviously, <laughs> as he was blind after that. But he answered his own question. He knew who it was. Who art thou, Lord? It's interesting. You think about that. You see, he had been hearing that voice for a long time, probably, in his life. You think back to Stephen, back in uh, Acts chapter 6, on that. You know, the wise man or woman will have an ear that's attentive to his voice and a heart that's eager to obey. You know, God talked a lot about that with Old Testament Israel. Um, Psalm 95, I think this is referenced in Hebrews. No, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. He talks about that again, specifically talking about Israel in that point where he, they heard me. I um, 40 years in the wilderness and rejected basically on that. So subpoint B, not only do we see God's voice discerned, but something, but God's something determined. There you go. God's vision determined. Again, thinking about kind of sounds weird to say it, but no, what God had in mind, if you can work word it that way. Now, have you ever met someone? who talks because they're nervous or they or can't stand silence. You know that? You know, sometimes, and that's the case, you don't really have, there's not a lot of substance to what it is, right? But you know that's never the case with God. When God speaks, he does so with a purpose. He's carefully crafted his message so every word's essential. Think about what Jesus said. I think it's in, uh, in one of his temptations there. I think it was when the, Satan told him to turn the stones to bread. What did he say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Again, you could, that, that whole gets into the whole no Bible debate you know, with 
preservation of scripture and of God's, the words are important. So you think about that. God doesn't waste words. Verse 1 of Jonah tells us that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. And that was God's message to him. And it wasn't meant to be ignored. And that, you know, there's nothing more frustrating when you're in the middle of an important conversation with somebody on the phone and it drops, right? And it goes, it's like really annoying when that happens. So think about that between you and God, you know. Make sure your spiritual battery is charged in that, that analogy. Make sure we're close, in range, so it's not dropped. There's uh, some verses here. Um, can someone, I need a volunteer for Jeremiah 8, 8 to 9. Anybody? Go ahead, then. Jeremiah 8, 8 to 9. And then somebody for Isaiah 29, 13. Go ahead, John. Isaiah 29, 13. Since you don't have the handouts, it'll be kind of hard to get stuff ahead of time. But Jeremiah 8, 8 to 9. Again, this is, think of these verses again in the context of God's vision determined of his purpose here. Jeremiah 8, 8 to 9. Yes. <clears throat> How do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord, and what wisdom is in them? And Isaiah 29, 13. <clears throat> Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and by their reporting <coughs> is taught by the precepts of men. And again, it kind of goes back to hearing and then hearing, which we're actually getting ready to get a verse. Look at a verse that talks very similar to that. So we have God's vision determined, and now actually this goes to point number two. So we had a, go back to it, we had a commission of authority. Now we have a call for, call for action. In the first, or actually in verse 2 of Jonah, there's three action words that are found. What are they? Arise, go, and cry. It was a call for action. Theory never gets the job done. You know that? You think about that in anything, really, in life. Theory never gets the job done. Um, 1 John 3.18 it says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And then this is the verse I just referenced a second ago. You know, in John 13, 17, you know, Jesus reminds us, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Isn't that interesting? Um, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye know them. It's not what it says. Happy are ye if ye do them. Again, theory never gets it done. It's action. So subpoint A, these all start with a W. This first one's actually two blanks, two words. It's time to wake up. There you go. Be a call for action, and then it's time to wake up. You know, someone has wisely said, you know, that this you could apply this in general, and then also particularly 
for our church. The church is a sleeping giant. You know, we really have all the power of the universe on our hand. But we've fallen asleep. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18? What did he say? Some power is given unto me. All power is given unto me, right? In the context of the command to go and to do what that. So really, our church is a sleeping giant. The potential's there. The potential energy is there. It's got to get converted into kinetic or active energy. Um, Isaiah 56.10, someone want to volunteer to go there? Go ahead, Andy. And then also someone to go to Romans 13. Go ahead, Pastor. And there'll actually be two sections there in Romans 13. Um, Isaiah 56.10, want to be there. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They do not bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving the Again, he's talking about that. Specifically, he's talking about Israel there back in that context of their spiritual condition, but think about that today in us. Um, and then Romans 13, 11 to 12. This is the Apostle Paul speaking here, um, verses 11 and 12. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And then verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Again, Paul giving there the idea of, no, it's time to, it's high time to awake out of sleep, to shake ourselves out of sleep. And that goes actually right into the next point. Not only is it time to wake up, but it's time to not to run, not to run. It's time to walk. There'd be two next verses, uh, 13 and 14 there. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So it's interesting. Not only is it time to wake up, but Paul kind of continues his challenge there by talking about a walk and how to walk. You know, we also need, we need to awaken to God's message of truth, but we also are supposed to practice it. You know, if we don't really listen, or no one, if we don't really live what we preach, no, it doesn't really get accepted, you know? There's the whole point of practicing what you preach on that. You know, Ephesians 4.1, no, it says, I, this is Paul again speaking here, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And then also in uh, Colossians 1, verse 10, and kind of a similar thing, he says that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Now, before we warn others of the error of their sinful life, we must be walking in newness of life ourselves. So not only is it time to wake up, is it time, I was about to say walk up, it's time to walk up, but then subpoint C, it's also time to, that's the W, similar, 
your kid's standing on the table, tell them, don't do that. It's time to warn. It's time to warn. You know, a doctor who never talks to those patients about eating habits or exercise and that kind of stuff isn't really concerned about them. You know, that's kind of pointless keep you healthy, but if they never tell you, warn you about certain things, then they're not really doing their job, are they? You know, if we're really concerned about souls, we should be warning about sin and the end result. Now, Isaiah 58 um, verse 1 says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice, like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Again, that's uh, in Isaiah speaking there. Actually, probably God speaking through Isaiah there. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice. You know, it's often you know, not in our personalities you know, to be negative and warning, you know, about sin, but that's part of what we're supposed to do. The whole salt and light aspect, you think about that, you know what Jesus talked about? You know, if you're sleeping and someone comes in and flips on the lights, you don't, that's not a very fun, uh, you generally don't have a very positive reaction to that, do you? Same thing with salt, often has a very negative reaction, if it's how it's used, you know that? You know, that can take us out of our comfort zones, too, you know. But you think about what, what Jesus said in the book of Revelation to, the, book, to the, the church of Laodicea there. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. It should be out of a motive of love for people and for God. This is an interesting quote here. Someone once said, it's better to build a fence at the top of the cliff and to park an ambulance below. It's interesting thinking about that. So point three, we've already seen, I've got to look back to myself, the, a commission of authority, a call for action, and then three, a communication of, think about this in God's perspective of sin and how that, um, how that affects him. A communication of, not a, it's more of a, uh, something that happens that is painful. Closer. It's a five-letter word, so it's kind of short. If you get hurt, sometimes you are in agony. A communication of agony. You know, verse 2, Think. go back to our, our text here in Jonah. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. You know, that verse note states that the wickedness of Nineveh had come up before God. You know, their sin had affected God, and somebody needed to tell them. And God was going to send Jonah to tell them and rebuke them and implore them to repent. You know, that message was not a positive message to deliver, you know. And so much our culture today, you know, keep it positive, you know, um, avoid negativity, you know. 
God's message about sin is not a positive, feel-good message, is it? It's not. God's message is often spoken through the tears of a broken heart of someone to someone else. Think about that. Think about the prophets, which actually we're going to look at. Um, turn to Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. Jeremiah 9, verse 1 again. Jeremiah, what's Jeremiah often called? The weeping prophet. So Jeremiah 9, verse 1. Jeremiah 9, verse 1 says, Oh, that my head were waters, and that in mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Again, there's a number of other verses you can look at in Jeremiah, but Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet for a reason. Jesus himself you know, talked about speaking of the Jews in you know, Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy chickens together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. God's message is often given through the tears of a broken heart. Subpoint A, this is uh, speaking of Nineveh. These all start with a P. An elevated, starts with a P, an elevated, what was that? Not plan. That's a little bit of a longer word. Not punishment. Not quite perception. This is. Um, Position, yes. An elevated position. You know, how does God um, describe Nineveh in verse 2? A couple, there's kind of two things, but the first one. A great city. Probably not necessarily in a positive. That's a great place, you know. But it was certainly a reference to her size, obviously, of it. But also, probably her influence. Farther down in Jonah, I think it talks about you know, Nineveh was a great city of, I think, three days' journey is how it's described. Again, speaking of just the size and um, going through it there. But, you know, often God's blessings, we take them for granted. You know, when things are going well, we often think we can kind of forget about God, you know. But Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, says, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? It's also thinking the whole point of doesn't matter where you are, others had a point in there, getting you there, wherever that is, whatever, take a situation on that. Nobody is an island unto themselves. Speak of Moses, he definitely feared Israel forgetting, didn't he? Think of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law there to that second generation um, that um, was getting ready to go into the promised land. Um, Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 14. Someone volunteer to go there and read those? Anybody? Okay, go ahead, Andy. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 14. Um, now Moses feared amnesia among the people of Israel. He didn't want them to forget God's, forget the Lord in times of blessing. And so in Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 14, he says this. Beware that thou forget not 
the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And of course, no. With, I don't know if it's said in that passage there, but they're like, okay, you know, we're, we're not going to forget that we're going to serve the Lord and, and this and that, and what do you see happening after they get in the land? Next generation that comes up that knew not the Lord on that. You know, really everything that we possess is a gift from God, and we should never take that lightly. You know, because sometimes the more God blesses, the greater target you become for Satan in that. You know, Micah 6, verse 8, um, no, um, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So, subpoint B, not only do we have an elevated position, but again, speaking of Nineveh, there was an extreme, there's the P, prejudice. This is more of um, this is a big one. Big one here you talk about today. They talk about air. Think of environmental air pollution and extreme pollution. You know, again it talks about uh, Nineveh here and their wickedness had come up. This is the presence of God. You know, sin's present in every society, but no, there's times, it seems, when that stench is particularly reaching to God in that. And of course, we know a lot about the Assyrians and the way they were and how they, um, the religion and how they were um, around other people and that kind of thing. And it particularly had stirred God. You know, Amos 5.12, um, again, speaking, I think, to, to Israel here, says, For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. It's kind of some strong language that God's saying to you about something. You know, it's really easy for us, though, you know, to think about, oh, Nineveh, of course, we're not as bad as they are. You know that, but God also says a little leaven, leaven if the whole lump. And, of course, you think of the examples, no, these six things that the Lord hate, you know, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. First one in is a proud look, right? You think also in, uh, I think it's in, I don't know if it's Revelation 19, maybe, talks about those that, uh, at that great white throne judgment, you know, those that are cast in the lake of fire. It talks about lying, liars in there, in context with a bunch of other bad things, you know, that we think of as really bad stuff, you know, like, um, um, I think it sounds about whoremongers and adulterers and that kind of stuff in there. It had and all liars in there too. So it's really easy to justify ourselves. But any sin pollutes his presence in our lives. So subpoint C here, not only do we have an elevated position, an extreme pollution, but then lastly, an expired. Again, thinking of God in the context of everything here. He's sending Jonah because 
something has expired. Patience. An expired patience. You know, God's patient. Very much so. Sometimes it doesn't seem like that, but think about yourself in situations. God is patient, merciful, and long-suffering. Psalm 103, 8. And the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. The very next verse says, He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. But there's times when that comes. Um, someone go to Second Chronicles 36. I need someone to go there. Second Chronicles 36, John, and then verses 14 to 16. Second Chronicles 36, verses 14 to 16. An expired patience. Moreover, all the chief of the priest and the people transgressed. Moreover, all the chief of the priest and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen, and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people. And on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, and despised his words, and misused his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. That's speaking of um, Judah specifically in their dying days with the last couple kings after Josiah. That's kind of a summary there of, um, of their spiritual state, really, what it's talking about. No. God sent them prophets, people rising early, often. They just despised them, misused them until God says the wrath of God arose until there was no remedy. It was a continual rejecting, rejecting, rejecting until they crossed the line. And it was, it's coming at this point. And in this situation in Jonah, that had come. You know, God, um, what, did, what was Jonah's message? <laughs> it was pretty simple. And he probably had fun delivering it, or at least he enjoyed delivering it because he hoped it would happen, right? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. But God had mercy to send him there to tell them that. So think about God's patience, and think about our lives. Is God convicting you of something today? Don't try his patience that. You know, Proverbs 28, 13, you know, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You know, sin has a medium of exchange that trades in sorrow, disillusionment, and death. Think about that. That's its currency that it trades in. You know, the wages of sin is death, right? The gift of God's eternal life. You know, Christ can forgive any trespass, but he can overlook none. He can handle it. He can forgive it, but he can't overlook any of it, which is also, we think about Christ and his sacrifice, propitiation, the satisfaction of that debt, those Bible words in the book of Romans. You know, forgiveness is man's deepest need and highest achievement. Think about that. It's kind of an interesting thought. You know, forgiveness is man's deepest need 
and highest achievement. Think about in our lives, you know, like forgiveness, it's freeing, isn't it? With, with people and situations in our lives. This is, a, I've never heard of this guy. It sounds quite an interesting name. Reamer Loomis. R-E-A-M-E-R-L-O-O-M-I-S. Reamer Loomis. The wages of sin is death. Thank God I quit before payday. About that. The wages of sin is death. Thank God I quit before payday. On that. So it's kind of an interesting lesson, just kind of, again, kind of reiterating here about God and a call revealed that God's call, not only in Jonah's life, but also in ours, it has a purpose. There was a commission of authority with it because God was the one sending him, but it necessitated a call for action. It wasn't just a sitting there, a passive happening with it because it was a communication of God's agony over sin and over people's condition. So that was kind of no Jonah's specific situation. Then you think about us today. It's kind of very similar, right? And not only do we have a commission of authority to go, right? But then we also, that necessitates a call for action, right? For us to go. Because it's a communication of God's agony over sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. To go and tell. Think about us today in regards to that. The trouble's not with the harvest. The trouble's with the reapers. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for this lesson. Um, Again, thinking about that when you speak, you do so with a purpose. Again, you've carefully crafted your message, and every word of it is essential. Again, we think of Jonah's situation. Um, he, Of course, we know from further on he chose to not do that, and you had to deal with him and work with his life and that. And we think of us today in our lives of course, as a church, and then, of course, as members of as part of it, we do have a command from you as well, and it's really easy to kind of just fall asleep and get so preoccupied with things that we don't focus on your word and your commands to us of what to do on that, and I ask that you would... Um, hopefully this lesson kind of just struck a chord in our hearts to um, kind of get back to some things on that, that we would um, discern your voice. We can hear it amidst all the other voices that are in this world competing for our attention and that. That we'd be able to just laser focus on that and the job that you've called us to do here and ask that you'd uh, give us safety as we go back to our homes and then bring us back together again on um on wednesday evening and thank you for this new year that it would just be the best year yet of course um personally in our lives um, as christians and then also as a church and accomplishing what you've called us to do in jesus name amen